Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> there, wow. Okay, right. um, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 4 of 1 John, uh, beginning in verse 7 this morning. Now, as I was preparing for the sermon this week, one of the things that I was reflecting upon was all the stories that are a part of Christmas. I don't just mean the stories that we all know that are out in the broader culture like A Christmas Carol and It's a Wonderful Life and Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, More than that, I was thinking about the stories within my family. The stories that surround Christmas. Stories like spending uh, my first Christmas married to April in Washington State, introducing her to all of our family story of driving down to Savannah, Georgia with my dad to get the perfect Christmas gift for my stepmother, Nancy, a purebred poodle puppy. I remember and think about doing Jesse Tree with our homemade ornaments each Advent season, waking up before sunrise every Christmas as my kids come in at four o'clock and then five o'clock and we say, no, we have to wait until at least six o'clock. And of course, as we talked about last week, the homemade cinnamon rolls. The stories of Christmas are so much more than just memories that we look fondly upon because our stories are the very things that make up our lives. They hold truth and power. Each of us has a story that makes up the substance of our lives. It's how we understand what's gone before us and what is to come next in our life. Our story is how we interpret what's going on around us and how we understand what it means to have hope and peace and joy and love. And in the Christmas story, we have the greatest story that has ever been told because it's not a fairy tale. It's not a Hallmark Christmas special. Rather, it is the true story of God's love and how His love becomes our story. In our passage for this morning, the Apostle John gives us a concise summary of the story of Christmas. He says in verse 10, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The story of Christmas is a love story. It is the love story between God and man. And it tells us how the story of man and the story of God come together in the person of Jesus Christ. And therefore, to know the true meaning of the Christmas story, we must come to understand how it is. That our holy God came to love sinful man. So hear now the word of the Lord, the first epistle of John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This is God's holy word for us as people. Let us go to him in prayer. Almighty God, we come to you now this day as we are in the midst of the season of Christmas in which all around us are signs and markings of this season. And yet, so often we can become distracted from what is at the very heart of Christmas. And so we pray, O God, that as we pause to ponder and to think upon your word, that you would give to us your spirit, that we might move beyond just the outward reflections of Christmas to the true heart and meaning of it. And that in these reflections, we might know your love for us through Jesus Christ, your son, our savior. It's in his name that we do pray. Amen. The very first thing that John tells us in verse 10 is that to understand the story of Christmas, we cannot begin with ourselves. This is a humbling word, but it's important. And we need to begin with this negation because it is our natural inclination to be man-centered in our perspective. In a world that believes that man is the measure of all things, the words of the apostle concerning the true nature of Christmas are very timely. He says in verse 10, In this is love, not that we have loved God. You see, the resounding witness of Scripture and of human history in general is that man is in a state of spiritual death apart from the grace of God. And that the human heart is filled with deceitfulness and idolatry. You see, the story of Christmas is not about the wonderful nature of humanity and that if we could just forget our adult cares and be caught up in the wonders of the holiday season, that all would be made right as we so often hear in our Christmas stories. Rather, what Scripture teaches us is that we are not the source of love. In Romans chapter 3, Paul explains, he says, None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Mankind is spiritually dead. And there is nothing within an unregenerate person that seeks the things of God, let alone loves God. It is not even that we choose not to seek after God as though this was some sort of neutral choice and maybe we could and maybe we couldn't. Rather, what Scripture teaches us is that we are in such bondage to sin that we cannot on our own seek the things of God. I was arguing this very point with a group of Mormon missionaries that I had a relationship with when I lived in Charlotte during my seminary days. They teach that children 
are born in a state of innocence. And it's not until they are about 12 years old that they even have the capacity to sin. An age of accountability, if you were, that they are so innocent that they are unable to sin and be held responsible before God. In response, I said, if you believe that, I don't believe that you have kids. (laughs) Now, that is not to say that I don't love my children. But just like every other child, they were born guilty. Sinner from conception. Sinner by nature. Sinners by covenant guilt in their unity with Adam, our first father. Sinners in practice. Our culture tells us that children are born innocent, but that the world and adults corrupt them. And therefore, to know the story of Christmas, we just need to return to a state of childlike innocence and receive that spirit of Christmas. We are told that we need to allow our children to write their own story, that we need to allow them to follow their hearts. But this is absolute folly. And will only lead to their destruction. This is not the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. Rather, the Bible teaches that prior to God's grace, we love what is evil and we hate what is good. That is, we love self and we hate God. And if we are left to write our own story, then it would not be a love story. It would be a tragedy. Because the true love story of Christmas does not begin with man. And Christian, you need to be aware of the implications of this truth. For the church historically has understood the vital importance of the doctrine of original sin in the story of redemption. That is to say, the biblical teaching that every human is sinful by nature. We must understand, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Evil, not love, comes and proceeds from the human heart. And if we lose this truth, then we have no defense against the world's insistence that human emotion is the measure of what is good and what is evil in this world. If we believe that the heart is the source of love and good in this world, then our story becomes one of enslavement to all manner of idolatry, making gods out of whatever suits our broken desires. Because the world will say that the human heart is the source of love. And therefore, the way that we know truth and beauty and love is just to look inwardly. And whatever it is that we desire, that is what must be Love. But this is wrong. And it leads us to love ourselves and to fall into all manner of wickedness. And this is why the Word of God begins with the definition of love by negating the human heart as its source. Because we believe that we define love. But we don't. In this is love. This is how we define love. Not that we have loved God. So then how does love come into our lives? 
If it's not from following our hearts, how will love intersect with our story? Well, again, look at what our verse says. In this is love that God loved us. The story of Christmas begins not with man, but with God. God is the source and the fountain from which true love flows. And it begins with the love between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. For the Word of God teaches us that God has eternally existed as one God in three persons. And that each person of the Trinity has eternally loved and been loved by the other members of the Trinity. That the Father loves the Son because the Father loves what is good and what is beautiful and there is nothing that is better. There is nothing more beautiful than the Son of God. And the Son loves and glorifies the Father because the Son knows the Father in all of His holiness and all of His majesty. And it is right for Him to love what is most holy and what is most majestic. And the Spirit eternally flows between the Father and the Son, loving and being loved as the third member of the Trinity. You see, love flows outward from the eternal relationship between the three persons of the Godhead. Such that John says in verse 7 of our text, love is from God. And in verse 8, that God is love. You see, so often we get this backwards. We think that we define who God is by what we think love is. But we need to understand that love is what God is and it flows outward from Him. Now, I understand that Trinitarian doctrine can seem a heady business. And no doubt any attempts to make it less mysterious often up and often end up in heretical simplicities. But we need to understand that we are diving into the deepest of theological waters, the nature of God's existence Himself. Nevertheless, at the very least, we can say that love flows from God because at His very core, God is a community of perfect, eternal love. And it is therefore from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit that we come to know and experience true love ourselves. It does not flow outward from the human heart, but it flows downward from God. Now, I'm not much of a champagne connoisseur or aficionado, but one thing I have learned is that true champagne must come from a particular region of France, or it's just sparkling white wine. And of course, the name of this region is? Very good, you're very smart. You see, there are imitations, but by definition, if what you are drinking didn't come from the region of champagne, then guess what? It isn't champagne. Because there is only one true source, one place that it comes from. And this is what John is saying about love. There are imitations and there are reflections of love in this world, but true love, by its very nature, by its very definition, must flow from God alone. This is love that God loved us. 
And if we would know and experience true love, then we must first look to God as the source of that love. We must look to His Word to define love. We must turn from our corrupted versions of love that are focused upon self and see that the true love we desire is the genuine love of God. So much of what our culture is struggling with this day is this question of where do we look to find truth? Inward to the heart or outward to some objective truth? Is there an objective source of what is right and true and beautiful? Is there an objective source for what love is? And the Word of God says, yes, there is an outward objective truth and it is God. That is how we know what is right. That is how we know what is true. That is how we know what is beautiful. Not based upon human taste and sensibilities, but rather we know what is right and good and true and beautiful and what love is by looking outward and seeing it from its very source. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit eternally loving one another and that love flowing forth into this world. But here's the conflict of that story. Because if God is love, and true love flows from God and not from man, then how does our story ever intersect with His story? How can we ever expect to be loved by God if we have not first loved God? Well, this is the turning point of the story. The moment in the story where the element which brings resolution is introduced. We all know the concept of a turning point in a story, whether we have ever articulated or not. It's in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. The turning point is when the snow begins to melt and we read that Aslan is on the move, right? He comes in to bring resolution to the conflict. Or in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, when Charlie Brown asks, does anyone know the true meaning of Christmas? And Lioness stands up and says, I do, Charlie Brown. That turning point when the resolution is about to come. So what is the turning point in the story of humanity? When is the element which brings resolution introduced? We'll look down at the second half again of verse 10. Here we read that God loved us and sent His Son To be the propitiation for our sins. You see, the story of our brokenness meets with the story of God's eternal love and brings about the greatest story that the world has ever known. John says that the Father sent the Son. What does this mean? What is the meaning behind the Father sending the Son? Well, first, it means that God gave to the world the most precious and valuable gift that could ever be. There are several things that we enjoy and to which we would ascribe worth and value to in our lives. Value cars and homes, iPhones and TVs, all sorts of manner of things that you're longing for and wanting for Christmas. But that which is most precious to us, of course, are those that we love. There's nothing in this world that it means more to me than my wife and my children. 
And I know that you would say the same about those who are in your life, that you would trade all of the world for those you love because they are more valuable to you than anything that this world has to offer. And that which is most valuable in the eyes of God the Father is His Son, His only begotten Son. For Jesus is the most valuable and precious object in the universe. He is majestic, and glorious, and beautiful. He is holy, holy, holy. He is the very radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is the very thing to which we should be willing to sell all that we have to come to know Him and to be with Him and to love Him and to be loved by Him. Oh, do not think that anything is worthy to be compared with the worth of the Son of God. For He is worthy to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He is the desire of all nations. And God the Father loves His Son with an eternal love. And He sent Him to us. This is love. God so loved the world that He gave us the One whom He loved above all. That the love of the Godhead might overflow unto all creation. Now, not only do we see that God sent His Son whom He loves, but even more than that, we see that He sent Him to a people that He knew would reject Him. Once I heard on the radio a mother sharing about how hard it was for her to send her son to school. Apparently, the children at school had been picking on him, making fun of his weight, playing cruel tricks on him. And I'm sure that many of you have had similar situations where you had to send your children, send somebody you love into a situation where you knew that they would be picked on, where people would bully them, and they would be hurt. Oh, the struggle of sending your child into an environment where you know that she will be hurt, that she will be made fun of because of the way that she looks or the way that she talks or the way that she behaves. Oh, the struggle of sending your son where you know that he will not meet the expectations of others and he will be rejected to send your child into a world where you know that they're going to be abused. And God sent His Son to such a world The Son of God, born to a poor family, born in a stable, placed in the feeding trough of an animal, pursued by Herod when he was yet an infant, subject to sickness and weakness his whole life, rejected by his family, betrayed by his friends, abused, spat on, scourged, stripped, humiliated, nailed to a tree, forsaken and killed, and he still sent his son. And this is the ultimate display of God's perfect love to us. This is the love of God. Not that there was anything lovely within us that would cause the Father to send His Son to die to pay the price for our sins. But rather, despite our sin, God sent His Son into the story of our lives to change its course. 
For we were set on the track of death and He put us on the track of life. We were spiritually dead. We were haters of God and we were justly under His wrath. But He sent His Son to take upon Himself our death, to be subject to our hatred, and ultimately to die an atoning death for our sins, that He might rise from the dead so that we might live in Him forever. This is God's love for us. Now this word propitiation that we see in verse 10 is sometimes translated atoning sacrifice. But I hope that you'll take time to learn the meaning of this word because it's a very important word and it means more than just an atoning sacrifice. It doesn't mean less than that, but it does mean more and it shows up often throughout the New Testament. The word propitiation means to turn aside wrath by means of a sacrifice. And it is in this word that the expression of God's love comes to its fullest. For all of humanity, because of our sin, are justly under God's judgment. We are under God's wrath. That is, because we have sinned, God, because He is holy, has hatred for that sin. Has wrath for that sin. And we were under that wrath. But God freely chose to save a people who had rejected Him by sending His Son to turn aside His wrath. To turn aside His hatred for our sin through offering Himself as the One who would receive the wrath of God for our sin. To die that sacrificial death. To be a propitiation for His people. This is how much God loves you, Christian. He did not withhold His Son, but He gave you everything in Christ. And He was willing to pour out His just wrath against your sin upon the Son that He loved. That His wrath would be turned aside so that you could be reconciled to God. And you are now invited this Christmas through the propitiation of Christ to become part of this story of love. This is Christmas. This is the love of God that He chose to give His Son so that whosoever would believe in Him will find true love. We see the story of God's Christmas love displayed well in the hymn that we often sing here, In Christ Alone. Listen to the story of Christmas as it is lyrically laid out for us. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless bay, the gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. You see, if we define love within the confines of our own story, we will never know true love. 
We must be united to Christ through the story of Christmas. His story must become our story. His love must be the love that defines our reality. What He has done in the past must define our past. What He has done for us by His Spirit now must be defining of how we understand hope and love and joy and peace and His coming in the future must be how we define where we are going. His love must be the love that defines our reality. Could this Christmas be the turning point in the story of your life? Could this be the season when God calls you to be a part of His grand story of love? Is this the time when your story and the story of God finally become one? Look inward no longer for the answer. For you will not find the answer within the broken heart. But look outward to God and His Word and see that it is in Christ alone that we come to know the true love story. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Father God, we come to you and we thank you that Christmas is not a fairy tale. That it is not just a quaint story that makes us feel good. We thank you that Christmas is a true story and the story that defines reality. Oh, would you show to us grace that we might have a true and deep knowledge of the love that You have shown to us in Christ. And may we trust that love unto life everlasting. It's in Your name that we do pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.